Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Friday email on July the 16th in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we've got a number of emails we want to take a look at today. Uh, One of them was sent just with a Bible verse on it. And it kind of fits in with what we were talking about yesterday uh, about the problems that we're having in the world in regard to theology. And the other one is going to be about liturgy. Well, here, here's the Bible verse. It's from Isaiah chapter 5, beginning with verse 18. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes, who say, let him be quick. Let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and let it come that we may know it. And then verse 20, really important. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now that's a really important Bible verse because that's what's happening with many people in the world today, calling evil good and good evil. It kind of reminds me of something along the lines of Martin Luther with the Heidelberg Disputation. Uh, He wrote a a number of comments, and this was in 1518, and they were very close to this, about pastors calling evil good and good evil. Uh, An example would be pastors who give the impression that what is good are your works in order to get to heaven. And what is evil is not doing those works to get to heaven. And in some churches, those works have replaced the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with a kind of a social ministry where the church thinks that its task is to help the poor, give food to the hungry, clothes to those who need it, help with housing, etc. Now, I'm, I'm not opposed to those items, but to say that they are the function of the church is to misunderstand what is really going on from Christ's point of view. Now, there's no doubt that Jesus did some of those things. Remember, feeding of the 5,000, they didn't have food when they were listening to him, so he provided that. It's a reminder of what God did in the wilderness in giving them manna, but that wasn't the main item of their worship in receiving manna from God or helping others to eat the main part of their worship was to trust in God, 
to believe his promises, particularly about Jesus Christ. So Isaiah chapter 5 goes on with verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Will we find such people time and time again in Holy Scripture? For example, the reading from last week where a lawyer tries to trick Jesus in asking the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the lawyer believes that that's the meaning of the commandments, that if you do those things, you inherit eternal life. Like that parable that Jesus gave of the Pharisee thanking God, he wasn't like a tax collector, but he was doing good works. And the good works he talked about weren't even the commandments. They were ceremonial laws. He was fasting and things like that. When the Apostle Paul was converted, he mentioned that following the ceremonial laws was highly regarded by him, and he did them all the time. But he now throws them all out as garbage because though he thought he was wise in his own eyes, and shrewd in his own sight, he recognized that what needed to be done is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Then Isaiah goes on talking about such people who are wise in their own eyes. They are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Now, we're finding that in isolated situations in the United States, where at times police go further than they should in arresting someone or hitting them or beating them, etc., now, I believe that's a very small minority of the police. All you need to do is take a look at things like cops that's on television on YouTube, and, and you'll see how many times cops are putting their lives in danger to help out their neighbor. But occasionally you do have a police individual who is going against the laws of the land and may acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom go up like dust, for they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Now, we find that in 
very many people one of the main reasons why you have unchurched young people is because they're despising the law of the Lord. They want to do things their way. It's very important to ask an individual who is not going to church, where does he get his information about what is right or what is wrong? His moral compass. And you will find, well, it's the way I feel. Or this is what my friends tell me. And and the Bible is no longer for many people the source of finding about the will of God. So what does this mean? Isaiah says it in verse 25. The anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them. And the mountains quaked, and their corpses were as refuge in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Now remember at the time of Isaiah, we had the Babylonian captivity, where Babylon took into captivity many from Jerusalem. And it was very sad that they were taken into captivity, imprisoned. Now, later on, when the Babylonians were defeated, uh, the new king allowed some of them to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. But it took a, a while. God does not fool around with unrepentant sin. In fact, David is a great example of this. He sinned with Bathsheba. He broke every commandment in that sin. And he even killed Bathsheba's husband. So, what did God do? Well, he sent Nathan the prophet to David and told him a story about a man who had a pet lamb that his neighbor took, killed, and used to give food to a friend of his who was visiting. And David got very angry. He said, bring this man here and I will put him to death. And Nathan looked at David and said, thou art the man. And at that point, David came to a realization that what he had done with Bathsheba, her husband, the property, broken every commandment, I have sinned against the Lord. When that was mentioned, David said that he would be forgiven. But as a reason for God showing his displeasure, the son that was born to David and Bathsheba would die, which did happen. So God still gives temporal consequences to our sin, even though we are forgiven and heaven is our home. Because in that passage, David says, 
the son will not return to me, but I will go to him. Talking about the resurrection from the dead after he is buried. So that's really kind of important. We get a lot of emails of people who are saying that, look at this, and you can summarize it by those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. One of the emails we received was an email by an individual, and it was entitled, How Lutheran Hymns Lost Their Monopoly in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Now, the individual begins by saying, it is an opinion piece. I might be completely wrong in my assessment, but here is my opinion. And he does a good job in defining what he's talking about. He says, traditional Lutheran hymns mean those hymns in the Lutheran service book. By contemporary Christian songs, I refer to songs composed after the last 30 years by non-denominational churches played with guitars, drums, and electric keyboard. Now, he makes a statement that I'm not sure I agree with. Lutheran hymns, traditional ones, no longer hold a monopoly on hymnody in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. They are only one option. My hunch is they are not commonly sung in at least 50% of synodical congregations. But then he says, I would like to see the statistics. Now, I'm dealing with four churches in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. They're all in central Illinois. And I know of a number of other churches in central Illinois. All of them use traditional Lutheran hymns. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't agree that 50% of synodical congregations use these hymns that are written by non-denominational churches. In fact, we have looked at some of those hymns and they have false doctrine in them again and again because they are not based on God's word. But he wants to answer the question, how did this happen that he thinks so many congregations are using contemporary Christian songs. He thinks the answer is not really theological. It is a sociological answer, a this-worldly explanation in the United States. Now, I think that's where he has his problem. If you're going to examine what the church does from a sociological point of view, 
and not from a theological point of view, uh, no wonder he comes up with the conclusions he does. He says, Protestant churches, by which I mean non-Roman Catholic, are competing with each other. Drive around any metro, that'd be any city. You drive by some type of church every six blocks. Americans are church shoppers and church hoppers. We don't have a state church in this country. Church is forced into a consumer system, a free market system, a capitalistic system with buyers and sellers. Every congregation is more or less forced to sell itself and everything it is about to American consumers. You need people to pay the bills. There is no way around that. And so that's the point. Americans, he says, are not into 16th, 19th century classical hymns. Why? I don't hear the lay people complaining about the theology of these hymns, complaining that such and such hymn teaches the genus myostaticum. No, they are complaining about the sound, the notes, the rhythm, the beat, the music. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about Lutheran hymnody that people are complaining about. Now, every now and then, we might sing a hymn from the Lutheran hymnal by which the congregation is unfamiliar. Uh, when I was in a congregation for 28 years, we had a choir. And occasionally, the choir would sing the first verse, and then the congregation would join in the rest of the verses. But I don't remember them complaining about the notes, the rhythm, the beat, or the music. Less than 5% of the American population listens to classical music, and probably more like 1%. Where does he get these figures? I, I don't agree with those percentages at all. In the past few years, I have visited probably 30 congregations in the United States as they asked me after listening to Law and Gospel to come and preach when the pastor's on vacation or when they don't have a pastor. I have yet to come into a church where they're singing these contemporary songs. No, they're singing the classical music from the Lutheran hymnody. So I just don't agree that 1% of Americans don't listen to classical music. They listen to soft rock, new country, he says, jazz, rhythm and blues, and a host of other sounds but not classical music. Now, my grandson is a professional pianist who plays jazz. Now, I'm not against jazz when it's done properly. 
Recently, he did a one-hour concert at a church, and it was the music of the hymns from a jazz point of view. He played them with jazz, but you could recognize the hymn. And after each hymn, the congregation applauded what he was doing. So there are occasions when contemporary hymns that are in the hymnal are appropriate to be sung. He says the average American could not tell you the first thing about batch or beet oven. He's talking about Bach and Beethoven. And contemporary Christian music is very popular in the U.S. So the rank and file want today's musical sound. Now, he makes that statement, but he has no statistics to back that up. Now, I was in the congregation for 28 years in a diverse neighborhood where the majority of people who joined our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, were black. And they were coming from churches where, yes, these contemporary songs were being used. But what got them into the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod? Yeah, they may have attended a worship service and may have been somewhat perplexed at the songs we were singing because they weren't familiar with them. But what we did, we got them into adult instruction. Sometimes it lasted 20 weeks going through the commandments, the creed, the Lord's Prayer, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. They came to love Lutheran theology because of what it said and the comfort it gave to them that their works were not the way of salvation, but Jesus was the way of salvation. So they were confirmed. But while they were being confirmed, what we did was in the adult instruction, we often explained the liturgy. We told them how the liturgy, much of it was quotations from the Bible and why it was important that we knew these because we were joining with angels and archangels in praising the Lord. A number of these people became members of our choir because they got to love Lutheran hymnody, not often because of the tune or the melody or the rhythm, because of the words. In fact, there were times when the sermon would just go over a hymn we would sing. But this writer says, Instead of investing in a large effort to raise up today's hymn composers who will compose hymn with today's sound, with a sound that average Americans find attractive, Missouri Synod officially adopted a different strategy. It put out Lutheran service book and wants all synodical churches to use it. While trying to shove German chorales down the throats of today's Americans simply 
will not fly. Well, I, I don't know what he's talking about. If a person goes properly through an adult instruction class and learns the meaning, all of a sudden these hymns begin saying things that are so pleasant and comforting to the sinful individual. We're not shoving down German corrals down the throats of today's Americans. What we're doing is sharing with them wonderful music. But he says, no, because we're shoving down German corrals, congregations and pastors now look to other service sources for their worship songs and hymns. Now, I've attended some churches where they're singing those contemporary songs. Uh, many of them are not Lutheran, of course. And it's very interesting to note that the singing is not that loud. People are moving their lips, but a lot of times they're not following the beat. In fact, a recent survey among young people showed that they don't want to be listening to rock music, etc., when they go to church, because church is about Jesus. So the problem with contemporary Christian music is their words and theology. He says that. Those worship songs rarely extol baptism or the Lord's Supper. They rarely extol the gospel narrative. In fact, those worship songs rarely express a verse-to-verse -verse narrative about the saving work of God in Jesus Christ. And he ends up saying, the wording of those contemporary Christian songs is no match for the strong theological wording of the hymns in LSB. And that's our hymnal. Very interesting article trying to show why churches are no longer losing our contemporary hymns. But join with us on Tuesdays when with Mark Smith, I, Tom Baker, talk about the hymn of the day and its wonderful theology. Join with us Monday for Law and Gospel. God bless Listen you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.